all we have. There is no other plea. There is no other justification. There is nothing but Christ. So may we hold firmly to Jesus today. May we stand in the refuge of Christ, on the rock of Christ. May we hear your word. May we respond as your spirit moves in us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Have a seat, church. Thank you, Hunter. And thank you guys for being here today and for worshiping. It's just, um, you know, sometimes we wonder, you know, people feel like sometimes the music part is, is the prelude, you know, or the, or the, or the warm-up band and stuff. No, it's not. I, I come in here and there's so many things that are on my mind. Who's here? Who's not here? And it's only when I'm able to sit down and start worshiping that, man, I can, I can be calm and I can go like, thank you, Lord, that you're allowing us to be in his house today, in your house today. And so thank you guys for being here today, too. I want to, uh, I know it's, uh, you had a choice. Um, not, not only of other church, it's not like the airlines. We know you had a choice in flying, but you had a choice in worship today. But you also had, for a lot of you had a choice of staying in bed. That's what, that was probably the big temptation for a lot of us. But thank you for being here and joining with us. Before we get into the message today, I don't want to break up the, 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 the sense of worship right now, but uh, uh, Hunter asked me to do this at this point, and I think it's a good idea. In the seat back in front of you, there is a little survey that we would like you to do, and I believe we also have a QR code. Can you, is, did, did he get put that on the screens? There we go, right there. It's a small group survey, and I'm not going to preach a sermon on this really, but but we're getting ready to, to roll out our third iteration of small groups during my time here. Small groups are really important. If you read my newsletter article this week, you learned my story about John, who had been coming to church for, for months and never connected with anybody. I'd never even sure I was, had met him, but it's only when he got into a small group that he began to connect. And while you are, may come here regularly, it's when you get into a small group that we really feel like you are a part of the body of Fresno Church. Fresno Church may be your church, but it's only when you're connecting into a small group like this, as I throw it on the ground, there we go, that we really start connecting with people. So we wanted to find out what you're interested in. So if you put this down here, how we're doing small groups, we want to do things that are going to help you connect in. We just want to kind of roll out things and say, okay, this is what everybody's going to do. So you could really help us by this. So if you will do this and either drop it in the little offering boxes by the back doors or if you want to leave it in your seat we can, or drop it off at guest services. Or if you want to fill it out online because you don't like writing things, because I don't, you can use the QR code real quick and be able to do that. But it would really help us kind of know what's, where God's working in your life or where you feel like God's working right now So as we roll that out. So thank you guys for doing that. If you'd go ahead and do that right now, I'd sure appreciate it. Having said that, I want you to know, like, this may seem random, but I feel like I'm a good son. My mom lives in Georgia, and I call her at least every other day, all right? Or because um, <coughs> if I don't, she calls me. No, uh, I call, I want to talk to my mom, and I call her, I call her regularly. So I call her at least every other day, and, and, and most days I call her, call her anyway. So I had to say the other day, in case she's watching this, that she knows that I do skip some days. So, uh, but, I, but I call her a lot. But here's the weird thing. I could not tell you what her cell phone number is. I have no idea what it is. I'm not even totally sure about the area code because they've changed it since, I, since I, I left home. But you know what? That's true for most of you guys. I bet most of you have a significant person in your life that you could not do their cell phone because for you, it's either, you know, 
speed dial two, or it's, okay, Google, call so-and-so, or hey, I should, probably shouldn't say that because some of your phones are going to start dialing if I do that. So, you know, so you, you call out to, to that S word or that G word, all right, to, to, uh, to call someone because we don't know. And that's the problem. Our memories, if we're not using things regularly, they begin, to, they begin to leak. We just don't remember things at all, especially as we get older. Well, it applies to what we learn from Scripture also. So this is why today we're going to talk about why memorize Scripture. Now, as you know, I've, this last week, this week, and next week, we're looking at Psalm 119, and we're looking at different kinds of things that, that the Bible uh, tells us about engaging with the Bible and what it means to be engaged with the Bible and so uh, next week's gonna be the tough one all right but memorizing is not be an easy one but we're gonna look at as we look at this passage we're gonna look at Psalm 119 verses well we're really gonna focus focus on verse 11 I'm gonna read for you verses 9 to 16 so if you uh, if, if you want to turn to that we'll have it on the screens also uh, it's in your pew Bible there I don't remember what page it's on right now or the chair Bibles that are there but as we do it, I want to remind you that this is a, an acrostic love song to the Bible. Remember, it's got 22 chapters, or 22 stanzas to it, and each stanza starts with a, a, um, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first stanza starts with the Aleph, the second one with Beth, and we're going to look at the Beth stanza today. And I, I, oh, I wanted to give you one interesting fact. I misspoke last week. I said the first word of that stanza starts with the letter Beth. But actually, the first word of every verse in that stanza starts with the letter Beth. So they all start with what would be the Hebrew equivalent of B there. So we're going to read the whole Beth, or the whole B stanza at this point. So here's what the, the psalmist says, Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And that, ladies, that could be read, a young person, a young woman, and be included that, okay? So how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. That's a great prayer right there. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. Now think about it a second. Do we rejoice when we see a command from God there? That's not typical of us as human beings to rejoice in commands, but I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we want to be like the psalmist and learn to love your word not as some magic eight ball, not as some, you know, mystical way of engaging with you, but something that reveals to us your heart. And Father, we know as we engage in your word, it's how we grow closer to you. It's one of the ways. And so, Father, we want to be closer to you. We want to live lives that are pleasing to you. We want to rejoice in what you believe is right, what you know is right for our lives and for our future. And so, Father, as we look into your word today, Help us to appreciate not only the word written, but the God it points us to. Thank you for giving us your word to teach us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now I want to remind you that we, we are asking people to read through the Bible this, this year, or at least engage in it daily. Now, if I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you are reading through the scriptures, through the plan we're using this year, we've just finished Genesis yesterday, so congratulations to all you guys who finished Genesis. Now we get on to the start of Exodus together. So, in fact, if you are, want to join us in the plan and you haven't jumped in yet, you can just jump in right where we are. Your reading today would be Exodus chapters 1 and 2. So there's the first two chapters of Exodus. And then Psalm 88. It just, we're going to spur some psalms in there from time to time. Psalm 88 and then Luke chapter 21. And that gets right up to where Jesus is starting to be, about to be crucified. So Exodus 1 and 2, Psalm 88, and then Luke 21. And if you get our newsletter on Thursdays, we will print where that goes. I'll try to start printing on maybe when we have handouts of where they go, uh, what the reading is for that week. But uh, if you ever want that, we've got, page, we've got sheets back at guest services that you can get to read, to go through the reading plan with us. Or if you do another reading plan, that is fine. There's nothing wrong with using a different reading plan. But if you don't have one, join us together, and we can be discussing God's Word together. So, now, as we, as we look at this, I've got a little simple outline for today, and I have to give credit to Charles Spurgeon, a pastor from England back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that, uh, that first came up with this. Probably a lot of other people have used it. It was the first one I saw. So, verse 11 says, in the translation we just read, says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. That's the verse we're going to look at today. And Charles Spurgeon said this, treasuring God's word in your heart, that's taking the very best possession, putting it in the very best place for the very best purpose of not sinning against God. And that's sort of our outline today. So the first thing we're going to look at is why God's word is the very best possession. Now, most of you probably say, well, yeah, sure, I, I believe God's word is the very best possession. Often for most believers, if they said, you know, you're on a deserted island and what are the ten things you would want to bring, most people would put a Bible in there. Most Christians would. Well, maybe not most Christians. A lot, of, all of you guys would, I'm sure, all right? So all of, all of you guys. I don't know about those other churches out there, but you guys would all do that. And so we say it's the very best possession, but we don't always act like it. But let's look at the word for a moment. It's the record of God's interaction with humanity. It reveals the great meta-narrative of the universe. We talked about that last week. But it talks about how the world began. Or really, more importantly, it talks about why the world began. In fact, I will tell you, this is a little sidebar. A lot of Christians get hung up on the evolution versus creation kind of thing. And I've got my opinions. And you have your, but you know what? I'm not worried about that. To be honest, I don't really care how God created the world. Scientists can look, examine that all they want to, and that's fine. What I care about is why and who that's the big part and the bible tells us very clearly who created the world and why and that to me is the important part that we need to look at and it talks about how this age is going to end in revelation but all in between it's this meta-narrative of god's interaction with his people and the center point the high point of that is of course when he sent his son jesus to die on the cross for us that is the great meta-narrative of redemption you know, and that sort of enthralls people, if you think about it. That's something God's put within us to want that kind of thing. I would say for most of you, if there's some TV show, some TV series that you watch, there's any, there's any kind of seriousness, you're always interested in what's called the meta-narrative of it. Okay? Especially for those of you like me who are sci-fi fans, there's always this thing about this great big battle that has a culmination. In the, the end of, and that's what this is all about, this meta-narrative of the drama of the world building up to Jesus 
and how we're living in this world now after Jesus already won the victory, but we're now the occupation army trying to tell, tell people the message of Jesus and redeem as many people before this age ends, whether it's this afternoon or whether it's long after our lifetimes. Whenever this world ends, God will call this world into account, and we have the message of telling people about that. So anyway, that's that great meta-narrative there, plus the Bible gives us the clearest picture of Jesus, who is God's very embodiment here on earth. God the Son, fully God, just as much God as God the Father, just as much as God the Holy Spirit, God the Son came into the, into the person of Jesus. And then after the Gospels, you have the story of how the early church shared that message of Jesus throughout their world. And so just look at some of those things that are there. And I just want to share a few of the verses, a few of the things out of the passage today that talks about how wonderful God is, God's word is. Verse 9 says the Bible shows us how to stay pure. Man, that's a worthy possession right there. Verse 10, the Bible keeps us wandering from, keeps us from wandering from God's commands. Verse 11 says the Bible is a treasure. Verse 12 says the Bible blesses us, and it does. Verse 14 says it's better than all riches. Wow. Would you be willing to trade all that you have for God's word? That'd be a hard thing for us to say. Fortunately, most of us, probably all of us, well, none of us will ever be into that situation, I should say. But would you be willing to do that? There are Christians who have given up everything to be able to hold on to a piece of God's word. And in verse 16, it is a delight that the Bible should be a delight. As we talked last week about it being like sweeter than honey, that it's like should taste better to you than, any, than your favorite food does. By the way, as I read through these things about it being a treasure, about blessing us, being a delight, if that sounds a little repetitive, that's because it is. Hebrew poetry, I, sh- I don't know if I told you this before, I didn't last week, but Hebrew poetry is a little bit different from English poetry. When we have poetry in English, all right, what are some of the, some of the hallmarks of, of normative poetry in English? It rhymes, that's one of them, okay? Another one has meter to it. That's, now, it doesn't always do that, but that sort of normative poetry normally rhymes and has meter to it. Just like the songs we sing, they all have meter to them and usually rhyme or, or, or come close to rhyming, that kind of thing. Hebrew poetry is a little bit different. It uses repetition as a part of its poetry. So, Anthony, if you were writing a love, a love poem in Hebrew to Jackie, you would say things like, I shouldn't have picked actual real people because now I'm going to be in trouble no matter what I say. All right, so just, and Jackie will let me know later about it. I say, you know, like you could say, um, your, your eye, I, you know, I get lost in, in the love of your eyes. I wander through the mysteries of your nostrils or something like that, okay? But the, the, the wandering, the getting lost, that kind of, that's the poetry kind of thing right there. And, and in Hebrew, that would be very beautiful, see? That really would. In English, it doesn't translate so well. But now you understand I know that's weird, but now you will understand, you'll remember about Hebrew poetry and how that works, all right? Um, Another verse I think of that talks about just the importance of God's word is Isaiah 40, verse 8. This is a great verse. It's a great memory verse for you. It says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So it tells us, the Bible tells us there's only two things that last into eternity, people and God's word. Those are the things we invest in. Everything else will be done away with. But people and God's word will last forever. So let's talk a little bit about the Bible. First, I want you to know the Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book. 
At, the, at my last st study of looking at this, the full Bible has been translated into almost 700 different languages that are used by 5.6 billion people. And there are people still working continually to translate the Bible into other dialects. In fact, the New Testament is available in, additional, in an additional 1,547 different dialects. I mean, people have been working, the Bible has been translated more than any other book anywhere. And people are always working to translate it into new, into, into new translations and to update translations. And to update, I mean, every translation goes through updates. For those of us in the group that are, that are like King James, that's the version I love. Do you know there's actually at least three different versions of the King James Bible that have been updated through the years at different times. So all years ago, I'm not talking about the new King James, I'm talking about the back in the 1500s, 1600s, the King James being updated at that point. So it's always being studied, and it's been studied more than any other book anywhere. The Bible has been copied more than any other book, printed and copied more than any other book. And I want to give you some examples about that when we're talking about copying. I mentioned a little bit about this last week, but I, I looked up some details right now. Homer's Iliad, I mentioned it last week. Do we have it up there on the screen? All right. There's only 647 ancient copies of the Iliad, and the oldest of them was written 400 years after Homer lived, 400 years after the original. And there's only 600 ancient copies. Everything else you have were written from things many hundreds of years after Homer, Homer lived. Now, some of you in college may have studied Plato. Plato's writings... There are only seven ancient copies of Plato's writings, and the oldest of them was written over a thousand years after Plato lived. That's how, how badly it was preserved. Though you never hear anybody go like, I don't know if Plato really wrote that. That's not really the kind of thing. You never do literary criticism of Plato's books if you, if you read them in high school or college. You just assume that's, that's what it is, and you look at it. But now let's compare those to Scripture. And I'm talking particularly of the New Testament here at this point. If you look at this, particularly the New Testament, there's over 5,000 ancient copies and fragments. And yes, I'm adding fragments in there because that is important. Parchment was very fragile. So they've actually, if they find little fragments of the Bible, they will preserve it and, and keep it. In fact, a lot of colleges, especially seminaries and uh, Christian schools have copies of, you've heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that. There's thousands and thousands of those out there. Over 5,000, and I mean ancient not ones like from the 700s and stuff like that, but ancient copies of the New Testament. And the oldest of those is less than 80 years after it was written. Way closer than anything else. So even in the early days, the Bible, people worked to preserve it because they knew how important it was. So it's been translated more than any other book. It's been copied and printed more than any other book. And, um, and I will say this, it's been attacked more than any other book. It really has over the year. There's no other books. Now, we live in an age when people talk about book banning and things like that. And on the left and on the right, there's things of trying to get rid of books and those kinds of things. In fact, I heard somebody recently here in Fresno talking about, I don't know if you're new, in, in, that there's a thing to uh, Steve Brandow, one of our, our, our county supervisors, is that what he, county supervisor, has wanted to have books moved to just, you know, to, uh, to a reference section where the where the librarian has more control over it, just moved out of the children's sections. And people said, that's book banning and that kind of thing. And then other people rise up and said, if you're going to ban those books, then you should ban the Bible because, and as we learned in Genesis, we've been reading, there's some weird stuff in our, fam in our family history as, as, as followers of God in there. And so they said, we shouldn't have stuff in there. So people have tried to ban that book over and over again. But I'll give you a couple of quick examples. In A.D. 303, 
just less than 300 years after Jesus walked this earth, the emperor Diocletian ordered all Bibles to be destroyed. I mean, the Bible was so important to people at that point that the Roman emperor uh, ordered that all of them be destroyed. That was in 303. 25 years later, 25 years later, under the Emperor Constantine, Bibles are being copied at the expense of the Roman government. Just 25 years later, when they tried to ban all books, the Bible persevered, and the Roman government was paying to have Bibles copied at that point. In the 1700s, 1778, French philosopher, philosopher Francois Voltaire declared that Christianity would be dead within 100 years. He just said, basically, it's, 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 it's gone, it's dead, it's, it's out of here, it's not going to make any difference. That was in 1778. Within 100 years, Christianity will be dead. 50 years later, the Geneva Bible Society was printing Bibles using a printing press that had been owned by Voltaire. His, his equipment, the guy who said Christianity will be dead, Bibles were being printed using his equipment at that point. So it's been translated more than any other book. It's been copied more than any other book. It's been attacked more than any other book. And while I can't objectively give you figures on it, I firmly believe that the Bible has changed more lives than any other book because it's changed mine. And I know for many of us here in this room, maybe most of us, maybe all of us, it has changed ours also. And the Bible continues to change mine as I continually learn new things about it. I've told you before that I've read through the Bible I, I don't know how many times. I would say probably at least 40 times reading through the Bible in my life, maybe more than that. And, uh, and I still find things that I learn in it that just blow me away. One theologian said at one point, God's word is so shallow that the youngest babe could not drown in it, but also so deep that the wisest philosopher could not touch bottom. And I think that's true, that God's Word, I continue to find things that God is teaching me in His Word over and over again. The Bible gives us, again, God, the clearest picture of God's love for us. It's a story of our redemption and our salvation. And what do we do with the treasure? We put it where it will be protected and admired and grow in value. And for, and for the Bible, it's not putting it in a safe deposit box. I know some of you have never even heard of a safe deposit box before, I know, but the people my age know what that is, okay? Um, well, I won't, I won't take time to talk about that. We'll just keep moving on. I'm learning not to take too many. They got the timer working, so I'm like, I'm, I'm remember to not take too many side, side things. All right, don't laugh at that, John. That just encourages me, okay? We don't put it in a safe deposit box. The best place to put it is in our heart. So your heart is the best place to keep God's word. The psalmist said he, heard, he hid God's word in his heart. In verse 15, he says he meditates on God's word. In verse 16, he promises not to forget God's word. And here's the thing. The Israelite culture in which the Bible was written was an auditory culture. Now, much of our culture is, is, is visually driven now because of television, because of the Internet, that kind of thing. Uh, we're not, in fact, I was talking to some teenagers recently about trying to read a book, and they were like, is it on TikTok? And I'm like, what are you talking about? That they're like, I would read if there were like summaries of the book on TikTok, but I'm not going to read it. And uh, still praying for those kids. They're just, there's something wrong there, all right? But, um, but back in the day of the Israelite, it was an auditory culture. They were used to hearing God's word and they were used to committing it to memory. 
All right? they, they didn't live in an auditory, or in a visual world. They lived in an auditory world. In fact, for a lot of us, that th- those of you who may be auditory, it's why it's good sometimes to use a printed Bible for your Bible reading. I don't always do that. I do sometimes. But for those of you who are more auditory, by reading it, when you're reading it, you're not actually, you're not actually engaging your, your vision with it so much as you are, it's like, re- it's like you know, it, it, it's, it's like talking to yourself when you're reading it. But sometimes it helps you to remember where it is on a page, okay? That your visual does kick in a little bit there. When you're just scrolling through it, it could be anywhere. But when you're remembering about where it is, so sometimes for some of you, using a printed Bible might be helpful. But I want you to think about the importance of, of memorizing Scripture using a passage that you all know about. <clears throat> in fact, students, we talked about this, Hunter led us in this uh, Thursday night at, uh, at, at youth group, all right? The day of Pentecost. So in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read you a few passage, a few verses from Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> at the day of Pentecost, you may remember, that's when the Holy Spirit came in power and people heard each other speaking in other languages. And Peter preaches this great sermon where 3,000 people are saved. And here's what Peter says. This is starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11, the other apostles, raised his voice and, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And then he quoted, And in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on your people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord when it comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, as you look at that, that's Peter standing up and preaching that word from God's scroll, and 3,000 people get saved. Can you imagine what the impact would not have been if Peter got up and said, this is not what you think, they're not drunk. On the contrary, this was what was spoken to the prophet Joel when he said, when he said, Mark, could you run down to the temple and grab the Joel scroll for me real quick? No, they would say, like, oh, yeah, that guy is drunk. But it was because Peter had memorized this, because he had used it, and those words struck a chord in the hearts of those people. And the church was established in Jerusalem. Now, now the Holy Spirit's powerful. I cannot say that 3,000 people would not have been saved if Peter had not memorized these verses, but I doubt it would have been as many if Peter had not committed this to memory and been able to quote it from heart. That's the power that God's word has to change lives. And that's the importance of putting it in your heart. So I want to do something really practical here. I want to give you some reasons to memorize scripture. The first reason is it gives you guidance and direction. We talked about that last week in Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. It guides us, gives us guidance and direction. Second, it arms us for spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 talks about the Bible being the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And so it arms you for spiritual battle. Third, it aids you in spiritual growth. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in your respect to salvation. You want to grow as a Christian? You've got to spend time in God's word. If you're not spending time in his word, you're unlikely to grow, or certainly not grow very fast, in your faith and in your relationship with Jesus. Fourth, it equips us for God's work. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for proof, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that God's people could be equipped for every good work. The Bible equips us. Next, fifth, it positions scripture. By memorizing a passage, you can often remember where things are in the Bible. Like right now, does anybody know where the battle of David and Goliath, what chapter that is in the Bible? Oh, very nice. How do you know that, Jeremy? You read the Bible. Okay, good. Well, that was last week, reading the Bible. We're talking about, all right, the reason I know it is because I've memorized in, in 1745 where, where David says, you come to me with a sword and a, a, a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you've taunted. And this day, he will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the wild beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky so that all this assembly may know that there is a God in Israel. And so by memorizing that, I know that's where it is in, in 17. I remember where, where um, Samuel said his goodbye to the people of Israel. It's in 1 Samuel 12 where he says, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you but I will instruct you in the good and the right way. That's one of the things I try to do as a pastor, is not cease to pray for you and instruct you in the good and right way. But the Bible, memorizing Scripture, helps position Scripture in your mind. And then finally, it's also a way to witness without a Bible. One of the first passages I memorized when I started memorizing was the Roman road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's an easy verse to memorize. And because of that, I've been able to share my faith with people. I can share my faith on a napkin at a restaurant because I've just learned those scriptures and can write them out for people. So it's Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans uh, 5.8, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, and Romans 10.13. So I thought we had those on the screen. Is that, is that not, they're not on the screen there for us? Maybe I forgot to put them in. All right, I guess not. All right, so there, Romans 3.23, uh, 6, 6.23, 5.8, 10.9 and 10, and 10.13. All right, I, you can ask me about those ladies if you need, all right? So, but the best reason for memorizing Scripture, I just gave you six good ones right there. The best one is that it keeps you from sinning. Keeping you from sinning is the best purpose of memorizing God's Word to keep our lives pure. There have been many, many times in my life where I've been in a situation that I needed spiritual guidance, that I needed some way to help me figure out what God wanted me to do. And the scripture that I've memorized has come and helped me with that over and over again. Sometimes it saved me from some big mistakes. All right? So maybe... Um, I'm trying to think of, think of I, I got a lot of examples here. I don't know if I want to give these to you or not, all right? Um, but um, I'll just give you, here's just give you some examples. When I may have been tempted to stumble into sin, or I didn't know the wise response to make to some people. So what may pop into my mind, here's some verses. Psalm 101, verse 3. 
that says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. All right? The verse before that says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. And I have to remember that. When nobody else can see what I'm doing, will I still, be in still have integrity in my heart? Or I may remember, and this is one that, boy, nowadays more people need to remember. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. That's a great verse to memorize. Or when I'm dealing with family issues, and I remember that 1 Peter 3.7 says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wife in an understanding way as of someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her grace as a fellow recipient of the word of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. If I could remember that more often, I would have blessed my wife in a lot, lot more than I did. Or if you're struggling about having your quiet time, Mark 1.35 says that in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Or if you're feeling like you're dealing with pride, or you're envious of somebody that has fame or riches or, 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 um, or whatever that might be that you're looking for, that has influence or power, remember that in Luke 16, 15, Jesus says to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but that which is highly esteemed among men, because God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. And sometimes I think the things that the world is searching for, God says, I care nothing about that. It just nauseates me. It's detestable. And then finally, Colossians 3.21 Another one I should have memorized a lot more than I, or utilized a lot more than I did, but it's helped me many a time. Colossians 3, 2, 1, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So a lot of times God's word can come in and help you. That's just over and over again, ways that God's word by memorizing it can help you from making a mistake, helping you for turn, keep you from turning away from God's path for you and help you make some wise decisions. So now let's go practical again. Some suggestions on how you can memorize. First, I want you to admit, accept, accept that you can, realize that you can memorize scripture. I hear people all the time saying, I can't memorize anything. All right? Can't memorize it. But, but Destiny, I bet you've got your favorite, your favorite drink at Dutch Brothers memorized. You can probably spout it out without thinking about it, okay? All right? Or you know, how to, you know your home address. You know, uh, you memorize all sorts of things. Um, you memorize your, your spouse's birthday, hopefully, okay? You certainly know yours. You know the, the, the rules of engagement at your office, whatever that might be. We memorize things all the time. Some of you have your favorite ballplayer stats memorized for, the, for every year for the last 10 years, okay? You've got it all memorized. You know this stuff. It just throws me away sometimes when they tell me about what somebody's high game was, and I'm like, that's interesting. No, not really, but I'm glad you're, you know, focused on that. But we all have things that we memorize. You can memorize scripture. God gave you a mind to help you memorize it, and you can do it. So you've got to accept that first. Second, pray about memorization. Pray for what verses you might want to memorize, God might want you to memorize. Pray about having the consistency and ability to memorize. Second, follow a plan, like the Roman road that I just mentioned. Okay, oh, there, I did put them up there somewhere, okay? So there's the Roman road right there. I, I knew I had it in the, in the slide somewhere. Uh, or you might decide you're going to try to memorize some of the scripture that we're preaching on in the sermons or a, or a, a text from a Sunday school class or a, or a small group that you're, that you're studying. Maybe you're going to memorize something together. But just try to pick a plan with it. And there's all sorts of things 
you could you could just Google, you know, the 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 25 verses that every Christian should know, or something like that, and somebody will give their opinion on what those are. So follow a plan with it. Next, stick to your favorite translation, and I'm going to encourage you to do that. If you don't have a favorite translation, I can help you find one. Here's the only reason I say stick with your favorite translation, because why do you want to memorize? Have to memorize what translation it was in too. So. Like, okay, all right, I'm going to quote John 3.16, but this is in the King James. And then when I go to Romans 3.23, i got to do that out of the Christian Standard Bible. And then, you know, whatever else might be out there. So stick with one translation. Pick a favorite one and, and land on it and just, just go with it. And that will help you too when you're reading, especially if you're doing like a whole chapter or something. So stick with your favorite translation. Use music to do it. Help you to yeah, use music. I learned, the way I learned Romans... Um, 623 is from a stupid song that a friend of mine wrote a while back. I'm going to sing it for you. I don't sing very often. This is it. But here it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, not, that's never, never going to win a Grammy with that song, okay? But it just helped me memorize it. It's a way to do it. My kids learned Genesis. I've said this before. My kids learned Genesis 1-1 with a basketball. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. It's just by doing the rhythm. They memorize. So use music if it helps you with that. Whatever tools you can use to help you memorize scripture. Next, be realistic in the number of verses you're memorizing. Don't sit up and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to memorize the entire book of Leviticus, you know, in, in, by the end of the year. All right? So just, just be realistic. Um, I've mentioned this before. And again, let's see, I, uh, some, of the, some of the young people here, okay? All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll pick on Carmandy here in a second, all right? All right, I don't know how many verses you've got memorized now, but I talk to teenagers all the time. I have about 1,050 verses memorized, okay? Now, if you were going to memorize 1,050 verses by the time you're my age, how many verses a week do you think you need to memorize? about one-third of a verse per week so like memorizing a verse every three weeks by the time you're my age you would have a hundred over a thousand verses memorized that's all it takes one verse every three weeks if you do a verse a week you'd have a thousand verses in 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 less than 20 years all right it'd be that easy it just takes time it took me a while it took me about it really it took me about 30 years to memorize a thousand verses but just stick it out. Be realistic. Don't shoot for a thousand. Just work. I'm going to memorize a verse this week. Or I'm going to memorize a verse over the, or two verses this month or whatever. Sec, uh, next, if you fall behind, just start again. Just, just start again. Don't start over, but just start again. Just keep at it. And I, listen, when I say I've got a thousand verses memorized, really I should be saying I have a thousand verses that I'm continually working on. I've mentioned this before, but I think it's really important to know. I have to spend about five to ten minutes every day reviewing about, about 40 to 50 verses because I want to review them all every month. You don't have to do that necessarily, but that's my thing. I, in a month, I review all of my verses, so that's what I've got to do. Meditate on the verses. Once you've started memorizing, you can meditate on them. You can learn stuff from them. Use your spare time. <clears throat> How many of you like being stopped at a stoplight? No, and, you, and, and I, listen, I've seen a couple, there's a couple in Fresno that I know if I get stopped by the light, I'm there at least two minutes, 
Okay, and what do we do in that two minutes? We usually kind of say, all right, I'll just look at my phone real quick and, and see, you know, that kind of thing. Or you think, go ahead and call. Or you just get mad and you grumble. Or you're looking to see if you can catch anybody doing anything weird in their car next to you. How about using that two minutes at a stoplight to review a, to review a scripture verse? Especially if you do, like, like I've given you scripture memory cards there. Pull out one of those cards and go, okay, I'm going to review it right there. Tape it to your dashboard and just pull it off and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to memorize that. So use your spare time. We all have time that we waste during the day. Imagine if you could use it to memorize God's word better. Oh, man, am I out of time? I'm over time already. Wow, all right. I said I would finish up on time here. So let's wrap it up real quick. All right, uh, use tools like cards or an app. And I can tell you about apps later if you want to. I don't, I'm not going to go into it now. And then the final thing is just remember this formula. It takes work, review, and it takes time. You've got to work at it. It's not simple. But you've got to review regularly because our minds leak. And then you've got to take time to do it. So let's jump to some application here for it. Here's what kind of commitment. I'm, I'm not just trying to say, hey, this is a good idea, guys. Why don't you just try to memorize scripture? I'm trying to talk to you about something about engaging in God's word better. To be a better Christian. To understand God better. To know his purposes in your life better. To really, well, just to be the person Jesus wants us to be. It takes scripture. And so I'm just giving you some practical suggestions in it. So here's what I want you to do. First, acknowledge that the Bible is worth memorizing. If you don't believe that, then we're just, it, none of this makes any sense to you. But if you're going to accept that this is God's word for us, this is God giving us his clearest picture of who he is, is it worth memorizing? Yes, it is. Second, pray for a love of God's word. If you love it, you'll memorize it better. You really will. And as you memorize it, you'll learn to love it better. It's a nice little, you talk about vicious cycles, there's a positive cycle. As you memorize it, you'll love it better. As you love it better, you'll want to memorize more of it. All right? Not only that, don't pray for just for a love for God's word. Pray for a hunger for God's word. You want to get to the point where, like, I haven't done my scripture memory today. Boy, I need to do that before I go to bed. I want to spend time with him. I'm missing it right now. That's a hard place to get to, but you can get to that point. And then the most practical one of all, I want you to make a commitment to memorize the Bible this year. I can't tell you how many that's going to be. I can't tell you what it ought to be or whatever, but I'm just willing right now. Can you just take a moment before God right now and say, God, I really do want to memorize your word. And I want to make a commitment right now to spending time memorizing. I've given you a head start. If you haven't started, I've given you today's verse right there. Out of the Christian Standard Bible, maybe you want to do something different. That's one of the easiest ways I did is I, I bought one of those little cheap credit, uh, business card holders and I printed out cards at business card side, made my little flashcards. But there's plenty of apps that you can do that with. But as you begin to memorize it, God will work his way into your heart so that you may not sin against him and so that you may serve him better and you may be more like him in all that you do. Let's make a commitment to be people of the word, commit it and treasure it in our heart so that we might follow him better. Let's pray. Father, your word truly is the very best possession we could ever have. And I do thank you for it. I thank you, Father, for the many people in our congregation I know right now who are memorizing your word, that I hear it quoted quite often. And Father, I pray that in our church there might be a culture of God's word being shared because we have learned it and shared it together. Father, I want to ask you that you would Help our church to have this saying that we will take your word and we will learn it and we will love it and we will live it. 
Father, help us to do that so that it can be so your word.